Well, good morning, New Day. So good to see you guys. Thanks so much for being here today. However you're joining us online or here in person, uh, we're just so glad that you decided uh, to be with us for our study today. Today we're covering Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 50, and our theme this week is the empty house. And that's going to make sense as we go through the lesson, but our theme this week is the empty house. So today we're concluding Matthew chapter 12. Uh, Next week, I'm really excited to kick off chapter 13, because as we do, we'll begin a mini-series within Matthew's gospel on the subject of the parables of Jesus. And I've already been uh, working on that for weeks now. Uh, I'm really excited. Uh, It's going to be great. Next week, we'll kind of kick off an overview of uh, what parables are. And then uh, in the subsequent weeks after that, we will get into the seven uh, different parables covered um, in chapter 13. Some of them are grouped together. Some of them are standalone. Uh, But that's going to be great. So I want to invite you out uh, next week for the kickoff of that uh, mini-series. But again, today we are concluding Matthew chapter 12, And we're studying verses 43 to 50. And one more time, our theme is uh, the empty house. I was doing some uh, reading not too long ago, and uh, I read about one such empty house. Linwood Hall is a 110-room neoclassical revival mansion uh, located in Pennsylvania, about four hours southwest of here. It was designed by Horace Trumbauer, for very wealthy industrialist Peter Widener. And it was built between 1897 and 1900. In addition to the 55 bedrooms inside the mansion, the 110-room mansion had a large art gallery, a ballroom large enough for 1,000 guests, a swimming pool, wine cellars, a farm, carpentry and upholstery studios, and an on-site electrical power plant. In its heyday, it was dripping with silk velvet as well as gilded moldings, as you can see in this photo. The rooms were furnished with chairs from uh, King Louis XV's palace. It donned Persian rugs, Chinese pottery, and had halls crammed with art by Raphael, Rembrandt, El Greco, Van Dyck, as well as Donatello. And in it, Widener hosted lavish parties. And believe me, that is the understatement of the century to simply call them lavish. But sadly, for Widener at least, only 15 years after it was built, he died due to poor health. And though the mansion changed homes several times in the subsequent decades, get this, it has been predominantly vacant since 1952. The upkeep on such a large home is so great that there was just no one who wanted to incur the expenses. So, this house, dubbed the last of the American Versailles, worth countless millions of dollars, sits wholly and totally empty. I don't know about you, when I read a story like that, I guess because I have an appreciation for architecture, um, I read that and I just go, no! Like, oh, it hurts, you know? Uh, What what a tragedy for a home to just sit empty. And it's a tragedy because homes are meant to be lived in. So what a shame when it just sits empty. 
Well, friends, this truth, the tragedy of the empty home, in a nutshell, is the truth that Jesus is going to teach us today in our story. Now, today I'm going to begin with the context because uh, sometimes you can just jump right into a passage, no context is needed, and it makes perfect sense. Uh, While other times, uh, if you don't have the context, you'll make no sense of the teaching. And so today we're going to begin with some context. Jesus, with disciples in tow, has been ministering in an unnamed Galilean town where he gets into a big dispute with the Pharisees, uh, making Jesus decide to just go ahead and leave and move on to another town that maybe will be more open to his teaching. But on his way out of the town, we read this. A demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. Now, sadly, when Jesus freed this demon-oppressed man from the oppression caused by the demon, the religious leaders of Israel told the people, don't think he's from God, that's not the case, he's casting out this demon by the power of Satan. And Jesus knew that this was absolutely inane, absolutely illogical, and so he publicly humiliates the religious leaders by pointing out their flawed logic and heretical teaching. Jesus says in a nutshell, Satan is working to cast out his own workers. Are you serious? And that just silences the religious leaders. But Jesus, now having a captive audience, his detractors aren't flapping their gums anymore. Jesus has silenced them. And so with a captive audience, Jesus says, you know what? While I'm on the topic of demons, let me share with you a very important teaching. And friends, here is that teaching. Picking up in verse 43 of Matthew chapter 12, Jesus says this, uh, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, now remember, he just set a man free of a demon. So everyone's wondering, what's happened to that demon? You know, hey, hey, keep him away from me. You know, like everyone's nervous. So Jesus gives a little teaching. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Now, this is an absolutely fascinating little section of scripture All right, I almost wish it was Halloween because this is the time of the year where we're most interested in demonology. And um, it's a fascinating little section of Scripture. There's a really important truth contained in this section of Scripture, uh, yet because of the difficulty of the passage, it's just a a section of Scripture that you almost never get teaching on uh, from the pulpit. And so I'm actually really excited to share with you uh, the truths contained in this passage. And uh, here's my request to you before we begin breaking the passage down section by section. My request to you is this. Would you keep in mind as we study through this particular section of Scripture, this truth. Though this passage was not originally written to us, it ultimately was written 
for us. And so we have to pay attention, not as this was a message Jesus taught to people who lived 2,000 years ago, and we have to hear it for what it is. It's Jesus's message to us who live today. So with that in mind, if you're taking notes, let's jump right in. Here's the first thing we see in our text, uh, and we're going to call it the eviction notice. If you happen to be a realtor or own properties, uh, you're going to love today's sermon because instead of our normal alliteration where every point begins with a P or an M or a C, uh, today we're just, we're not doing that, but today all the points relate to realty, okay? So I think you'll enjoy it. Number one, the eviction notice. And we see the eviction in the first part of verse 43 where Jesus references the instance when an unclean spirit goes out, that is, is forced out of a man. Now, in our passage today, the human body is over and over referred to as a home in which God or the forces of evil can dwell. Therefore, when an unclean, meaning an evil spirit, a demon, is forced out of a body, is forced out of its home, Friends, that is nothing more than a spiritual eviction. Now, uh, my brother is into real estate. It's kind of the family business, so to speak, painting, wallpapering, real estate. And my brother uh, is big time into real estate. And uh, he's got a whole bunch of homes and a whole bunch of tenants. And he was just recently telling me the sad story of how he's unfortunately having to evict someone. Back in February, early February, remember the temperatures dropped to negative six. Uh, well, when that happened, this particular tenant's home, uh, the pipes froze and it caused damage. And so he had to call my brother, the landlord, into the home. And this was the first time he had entered the home in years. And when he came in, he had to travel to get to the pipes through narrow little passageways that on each side were lined with mountains of cat feces much of which had reached the fertilization stage of decomposition, which means it had been going on for years. So, so tragically, uh, he's having to evict this person who's just absolutely destroyed uh, one of his homes. But friends, that's what an eviction is. It's, it's booting someone out of their home. And this is what Jesus did all throughout his ministry. He performed spiritual eviction after spiritual eviction after spiritual eviction. Uh, seeing people where the forces of evil had taken up residence within, their, within the home of their body. And Jesus just says, no, you need to go. Now, this was actually foretold by the Old Testament prophets that Jesus, the Messiah, would do this when he came. For example, it was foretold by the prophet Isaiah that when Messiah came, he would proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who were bound. And that's exactly what Jesus did throughout his ministry. As the apostle Peter put it in Acts chapter 10, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Likewise, the Apostle John wrote this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
And if you've been tracking with us throughout this series, uh, what we've seen in Matthew chapter 4, in Matthew chapter 8, in Matthew chapter 9, in Matthew chapter 10, as well as here in chapter 12, is Jesus performing spiritual evictions. He continually kicks the demons out. In each of these instances, you have a demon who has set up a residence in the home of their host so that it can express its evil nature through that host. But also in each of these instances, Jesus comes along and demonstrating his power and authority over the demonic realm, commands the demons to leave, and they do. And that again is what we're calling the spiritual eviction. Now we're going to move on to our next point, but right before we do, I have to say this. Please do not equate a spiritual eviction with salvation. We are not saved by demon exorcism. We are saved by faith in Jesus, right? Okay, so just because a demon was kicked out of a person does not automatically mean that they now became recipients of eternal life. There were many people that Jesus healed of a malady. There are many people where Jesus came along and performed a spiritual eviction. And then the people said, thank you, have a nice life, see you later. And then they just go right back to their life of sin, not trusting in Jesus for salvation. So what I'm trying to say then is this, what we see here in point one is an eviction, not a salvation. And that's really foundational uh, as we study through the rest of our passage. So just know that this is an eviction, not a salvation. Okay, now that you know that, let's move on. Now that you've seen the eviction, uh, let's note the second thing we see in our text, which we're going to call the hunt for a new home. The hunt for a new home. And we see this in the second part of verse 43. Jesus says that after an evil spirit has been evicted, here's what it does. It passes through waterless places seeking rest, but it finds none. Now, friends, what we need to understand today is that when a demon is cast out of one person, um, it does not enjoy being disembodied. It desires a host. It'll settle for an animal host, uh, as we saw when Jesus cast the demons out of the man named Legion, as well as the other person. The demons went out and entered into the pigs, and they ran off a cliff, and they drowned in the Sea of Galilee. So they will settle for an animal host, but what they truly desire is a human host, because it's only through a human host that they can give expression to their evil nature. And that's what they desire. They desire to do evil on this earth through their host. And it's only when they are abiding and living through a host that a demon is at rest. So when it gets evicted, it's now seeking rest. So when they're evicted, they begin to hunt for a new home. And I couldn't help but think of uh, one of my wife's shows that she enjoys, HGTV's House Hunters. It's one of the most long-standing shows I've ever heard of, and I say long-standing because um, it first began airing in 1999, my senior year of high school, and uh, it's continued, 204 seasons in, and it's going strong from what I understand. Now, in case you've never seen the show, I've only caught a handful of episodes as my wife was watching, but in case you've never seen the, the show, when I get home today, she could be like, Mike, that's not even the name of the show, you got the thing wrong, but anyway, <laughs> it's one of those HGTV ones. 
if you've never seen the show, here, here's how it goes. Um, there's people looking for a home, and so they work with a local realtor, and the realtor lines up three different options for them to visit. And then they go, and they visit each one, making a pro and con list of each option. And at the end of the show, they have to choose, and then the episode ends six months or so uh, after they've moved in to show uh, how much they're enjoying or not enjoying uh, their choice uh, of a home. But I thought of that uh, show because... What the people do in the show is basically what demons do when they're spiritually evicted from their host. They begin to house hunt. They want to find a new house, a new host, a new body to dwell in because that's how they can best express their evil nature through the actions of their host. And that being the case, when they're evicted from their home, they become extremely uncomfortable. And this is what is meant when Jesus says of the evicted demon that it passes through waterless places. Jesus here is speaking figuratively, okay? He's speaking figuratively. So the picture is this. Imagine you're walking through a hot, hot desert and you've been walking for a long, long time. But there's no water. Well, you're going to be in extreme discomfort. So a waterless place uh, represents a place of extreme discomfort. And that's the state of a demon who is disembodied. It is in extreme discomfort until it finds a home. So once it's been evicted, it begins the hunt for a new home. And this is what Jesus means when he says that the disembodied spirit wanders around. What does it say? Seeking rest. That means it goes around hunting for a new home in which it can dwell and live through expressing its evil nature through the evil actions of its host. All right, now that you've seen the hunt, note with me the third thing we see in our text, which we're going to call the vacancy. The vacancy. Though the demon Jesus is referencing has been hunting for a new home after having been evicted, it's had no success. Jesus said, it's been seeking rest, but finds none. And that means it's been unsuccessful in finding a new ideal host in whom to dwell and express evil through. And here we learn something interesting. Surely when the demon was cast out of one person, there were others it could have entered. But you know what? Just like sports scouts, so the host of evil are looking for winners in, through whom they can, they can express themselves. So like in sports, let's pretend it's the NFL. So they have college scouts, and the scouts go out to the game, and they say, oh, wow, look at that player and the amazing play they just performed. That one has true potential. Hey, God looks out for true potential. That's why he handpicked the apostle Paul. He said, I can do a lot through him. But you know what? The forces of evil are doing the same. They're looking around going, who would be an ideal person? And this just makes sense to me. When I was in Bible college, I took some youth ministry courses and the uh, professor of youth ministries uh, said, you know what you need to do? You need to influence the influencers in order to make an influence. So we were taught when we go into the youth group, look around for the influencers and seek to influence them. And if you influence them, you will influence everybody else. Well, that's how it works with God, and that's how it works with the forces of Satan, the demons. They are looking for ideal candidates in which to uh, indwell and express evil through. So this demon 
has looked for an ideal host. It's not that they couldn't find any host. It's that they couldn't find an ideal one. So what does it do? It says to itself, I know what I'll do. Look now with me at verse 44. It says, I will return to my house from which I came. So this demon wants to know if the Holy Spirit has taken up residence in the host it was evicted from. Because like, here's the rules. <laughs> if the Holy Spirit begins to indwell a person, if the Holy Spirit indwells a person, no evil spirit can simultaneously do so. But if the Holy Spirit has not begun uh, living in, in, in the body, the home of that person, then the evil spirits are free to move in. Well, here's what Jesus says of the demon. When it comes, meaning when it comes back to the house it was evicted from, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. In other words, there was a vacancy. And it was actually in the ideal condition in which to move in. Back in 2011, my wife and I uh, were looking for a home to move into. We wanted to get out of our apartment and move into a home. And so we went and we looked and a realtor helped us and we were brought around just like on HGTV and uh, we went to uh, a number of places. And you know what was the, the most appealing to us kind of place to move into? The kind of place that was empty, swept, and put in order. Because those are the kinds of places that are ideal to move into. Last year, I went with a friend to see a home that he and his family were considering buying. And at that home, it was not swept, believe me. <laughs> it was not empty, believe me. And it was the opposite of put in order. And so guess what my friend did? He passed on that home. And he found one that was empty, swept, and put in order. Because those are the kinds of homes that are ideal to move into. So back to this person. Since the Holy Spirit had it replaced the evil spirit, this person's body or home, it was totally up for grabs. And that's how it works. Where the Holy Spirit does not dwell, evil spirits are free to fill the void, the vacancy. So this demon moves back in. But Jesus says this time, it's not alone. Which leads us nicely to the fourth thing we see in our text, which we're going to call the roommates, the roommates. We see this in the first part of verse 45 where Jesus says, since the home was empty, perfectly suited for a demon to move into, the demon goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter along with the original demon and begin dwelling there. So the person in our story had the chance to invite the Holy Spirit of God to take up residence within them, but he did not. And as I mentioned earlier, demon exorcism does not always automatically equate to salvation. So this man, as was the case with many people of Jesus' day, had the opportunity, he was set free, he could have asked the Holy Spirit to come and take up residence within him, but he didn't, so now he's opened himself up to Satan coming in. And friends, that's exactly what happened. Satan came in 
and exerted his influence to an even greater level than before. So when Jesus says, hey, seven other demons join the first one, what he's saying is Satan now exerts even more influence on this person's life than was originally the case. This is what is meant when Jesus says in verse 45 that the last state of the person is worse than the first. The person is worse off because having rejected the invitation for the Holy Spirit to indwell him, he has now opened himself up all the more to being used of Satan for evil on this earth. Now, I found this fascinating in my study. I almost missed it, and I'm so glad I didn't. Note with me what Jesus says about the seven demons who are now going to join uh, the OG demon, okay? He says this. He says of the demons that they were more evil than the original demon. Ooh, they're more evil? So I got to studying on this. And what I learned is just as some people are more righteous than other people, so some demons are more evil than others. And you say, Mike, why was that fascinating to you? Friends, because it gives me a biblical theology for various expressions of evil on this earth. In other words, it helps me to understand how some people on this earth can be so wretched, so vile, so wicked, so evil. For example, last year, I read a book called 3,096 Days in Captivity by the author uh, Natasha Campush. When Natasha was in the fourth grade, she was so embarrassed that mom dropped her off at school. She didn't want to be seen with her mom, so she begged, Mom, please, will you let me just walk to school on my own? And her mom acquiesced to her request, and long story short, that is what led to her abduction. She was kept in a small underground cement dungeon and kept on starvation rations. Breakfast was two tablespoons of cereal, lunch was one-fourth a plate of food, and she was allowed either one kiwi or one banana each day. And in this way, her abductor used hunger to keep her weak and submissive. Two years into captivity, when she was 12 years old, her abductor began violent outbursts if she did anything he found displeasing. So he started throwing things at her, he kicked her, he grabbed her by the throat, and many times he left cuts and bruises on her body. In addition to this, he regularly told her that she was fat, ugly, and stupid, and even wanted her to kneel down and call him Lord, which, by the way, she had just reached her tipping point, she refused to do. Natasha was imprisoned 11 miles from her home for almost eight and a half years where she was subjected to this kind of emotional and physical abuse. When we hear crazy stories like this, we can't help but ask, how can someone become so evil? Well, Jesus has told us the answer today. Some demons are more evil than others, which, friends, is why leaving your house empty is such an incredibly dangerous prospect. This leads nicely to the application of the sermon. The sermon title is The Empty House. 
And friends, by way of application, I'll just say this to you. This is not what you want. You do not want an empty house. You do not want an empty house. Because as we learned from Linwood Hall, the 110-room mansion, an empty house is an absolute tragedy. So you do not want an empty house. You want an occupied house. But you don't want just anyone to occupy your house. You want the Spirit of God to occupy your house. Lest an evil spirit take up residence where the Holy Spirit ought to dwell, opening you up to satanic influence. I believe today through the sermon, we're getting off the streets psychos like the psycho who abducted Natasha. And I believe instead we're going to find the next Apostle Paul who's going to make a huge difference in this world for Jesus. And that's the end that I preach towards today. Some people teach such weird stuff when it comes to demons and Satan and all this stuff. And I'm not into the kooky, weird teachings. I don't believe there's a demon behind every bush and all that kind of wackadoo type stuff. But with that said, God's word could not be more clear that there is a spirit realm where the forces of evil and the forces for good are working to exert their influence on this earth and they're looking for a home in which to dwell and to express their nature through. Friends, you and I, we are those homes. So let's personalize the message right now. We are those homes. The, the scouts of Satan, the scouts of God are looking for a real winner through whom they can do their work. They are looking to influencer, to influence the influencers that they, may, that they might make a, an influence on this earth for good or for evil. And we need to understand that today. Now, after sharing this teaching on what happens when a demon is evicted, Jesus actually rebukes his generation. He rebukes the people he's been ministering to, saying this. He says, that will be the experience. Everything I've just described about the demon leaving and coming back, that will be the experience of this evil generation. Jesus was saying, you have rejected the opportunity to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, so now you're going to be indwelt by the forces of evil instead. And friends, it's because that's exactly what happened, that the evil Judas Iscariot, under Satan's influence, betrayed Jesus unto death. And it's because what Jesus said is true, that under satanic influence, the Jewish people went ahead and begged the Romans to put to death the Son of God. Suicide, killing yourself. Homicide, killing someone else. Infanticide, killing a baby. What is it called? Theicide, killing God. Deicide, killing God. That's what they did under satanic influence. So the takeaway is this. The takeaway is this. We never know what untold horrors might be committed in and through our lives when we open them up to satanic influence. You, you literally never know. The next Natasha Campush might be writing a book about you. The danger of leaving our house empty is that we run the risk of a demonic house hunter finding our body a wonderful home in which to dwell and in which to exert its evil influence. 
Now, as Jesus was giving this teaching, which took place in someone's home, he was interrupted. And I believe this is, uh, we could call it a divine interruption. Because right now, as is the case maybe with many of you, Jesus' audience is probably a little freaked out hearing about all this stuff about demons. And so I believe God allowed uh, a divine interruption. Jesus is in the middle of his teaching about demons. And the Jews are going, oh my goodness, I don't want Satan to indwell me. That would mean I am a member of Satan's family. I don't want that. And right at that moment where they're having this concern, this fear, the divine interruption takes place. We see it in verses 46 through 50. While Jesus was still speaking to the people about demons... Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and is my sister and is my mother. In other words, Jesus is saying, you don't have to be fearful about belonging to Satan's family. You can know with a surety that you belong to the family of God. Whoever indwells us, friends, those are the members of our home. Those are the members, therefore, of our family. And Jesus said, you don't have to be worried about belonging to Satan's family. You can know with a surety that you belong to God's. So friends, that's what I want to close with today by letting you know how you can be certain you belong to the family of God. In John 14, Jesus said this, if you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Jesus at this point is still alive. He hasn't died. He hasn't resurrected from the grave. He hasn't ascended back to heaven. So he says, oh, now the Holy Spirit's just with you. But later, after I ascend back to heaven, I will send the promised Holy Spirit. And friends, from the day of Pentecost forward, the wonderful news of the Bible is this. Anyone who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus for salvation, that moment the Holy Spirit takes up residence within them and now makes his abode in the home of that person's body. But you know what's awesome? It's not just the Holy Spirit who moves in. You know how Satan takes roommates? Well, the Holy Spirit does too. And guess who he brings to join him in the home? God the Father and God the Son. I mean, this is what's taught in John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus says this, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we, the Father and I, will come to him and make our home with him. So you see, when we trust Jesus to save us from the penalty for sin, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all move into the home of our body that they might dwell in us and live through us using our body as an instrument, not for evil in this world, rather as an instrument for good. So friends, do you see the great potential each of us has? I believe it was back in Romans chapter 5 a couple years ago as we were teaching through that that book 
In that series, The Righteousness of God, there was a sermon I did whose theme was uh, the power of one man. And the idea was the power every individual has. We have great potential for good or for evil. We can all be the next Hitler or the next Schindler. And who we become largely depends on who indwells the home of our body. So friends, we need God to indwell our home. But Jesus has this warning for us. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 50, the last verse uh, we're going to study today, the last verse in our passage. Jesus says this, note what he says, do not miss this. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So it's not some cheap prayer that we just, we just say a prayer and then we just go, okay, I checked it off the list. I prayed to be saved. I must be saved now. Nope, nope, the prayer is just the beginning. And then God looks to see if our faith is genuine by observing our life for a pattern of obedience. For as Jesus said, it's only who does the will of my Father in heaven who belongs to my family. It's only he who does the will of my Father in heaven who's my brother, my sister, my mother. So friends, here's the bottom line and here's your last two fill in the blanks if you're still taking notes. Uh, we are saved purely by faith. Make no mistake about it. But know this, God tests the genuineness of our faith by looking in our lives for a pattern of obedience to his will, which is found in his word. Amen. No one's perfect. So God's not looking for perfection, but he is looking to see a pattern of obedience, which verifies to us, to others, and to God himself that we truly belong as a member of his family. So we can have the assurity that we belong, not to the family of Satan, but to the family of God. And the assurity comes when we live with a pattern of obedience. So friends, my question to you today is this, what's it going to be? Will you leave your house empty, running the risk of a demonic house hunter finding your body a suitable home in which to live where it can exert its evil influence or will you invite God to move in so that he can live in you and live through you bringing much, much good into the world. Again, you can become the next Hitler, you can become the next Schindler. It's not even largely determined, it's solely determined by who we allow to indwell the home of our body. So friends, which will it be for you? I've made my decision. Which will it be for you? Joshua said this, the Old Testament character Joshua, Moses' successor, said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then he asked everyone else to make their decision. That's what I'm asking you today. What's your decision? Who's going to indwell the home of your body? Today, if your answer is, I'd like God to, then I want you to pray with me. Those of you online, everyone out in the foyer, everyone here, if you want to join me in prayer, let's pray. Bow your head, close your eyes, say in your heart, Heavenly Father, uh, today I invite you to come and dwell within me. I invite you to begin living through me that my body might be used not to do what was done to Natasha, 
God, I want my body to be used as a force for good in this world. So today I'm trusting Jesus to save me from the penalty for sin. And I plan to show you, God, through a pattern of obedience that I mean business today and that my faith is sincere. So accept me today into your family that you might dwell with me and I with you. And may you bring about much good through my life. That's my desire. And I know it's yours too. So God, I pray that it would be so. And I pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. Do you want more New Day Church in your life? Well, please like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Want to take a next step in your faith? Our Church Center app is the best place to get more connected. So just download the free app on your app store today and be sure to choose New Day Church in Enfield, Connecticut. We are able to offer this sermon and all others like it only because of your faithful financial support. Thank you to all of you who so faithfully give each week. If you feel led to support our ministry financially, just go to our website at newdaychurch.cc forward slash give. Thank you in advance. May God richly bless you and we hope to see you again real soon. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. Do you want more New Day Church in your life? Well, please like and subscribe on YouTube and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Want to take a next step in your faith? Our Church Center app is the best place to get more connected. So just download the free app on your app store today and be sure to choose New Day Church in Enfield, Connecticut. We are able to offer this sermon and all others like it only because of your faithful financial support. Thank you to all of you who so faithfully give each week. If you feel led to support our ministry financially, just go to our website at newdaychurch.cc forward slash give. Thank you in advance. May God richly bless you and we hope to see you again real soon.